I love so much about living in South Texas, except for the cedar. <laughs> Sometimes you think uh, uh, you're not going to be affected by the cedar berries and the, the pollen all that much, and then you wake up one morning and they remind you that you're not in control of anything, not even your own voice. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm glad you're here. And I really appreciated what Phil had to say about the importance of starting a new year with your church family, worshiping God, praying to God in the name of Jesus, pressing your mind into God's Word, being reminded that throughout the remainder of this year, whatever time that God gives us, as we have been reminded through the Lord's Supper this morning, that we are what we are. Our, our competence comes from God Himself. It comes from His grace. It comes from His presence. And it comes because of His love and compassion and mercy for us. 2014, believe it or not, marks the 60th year of our church family. Now, we're going to have some, uh, some, uh, some other events to, to commemorate the 60th year of our, our church family. Later in the year, there will be more information uh, about this uh, you know, as we go through the year. But this morning, 60 years, and the reminder that God is a God of the living, and that as great and as high as, and, and as expansive as the ministries of this church has been, because God is a God of the living, our best years are still ahead of us. Thus, the theme, forward. We look forward. We look forward to what it is that God is going to be doing in our church family this year and in the next year and whatever it is, the, the, the number of years, the number of days that God has allotted for, the, for, the, uh, for the, the earth to continue spinning before His Son Jesus comes back to claim us, that we are going to go forward. And we understand completely that as we build people, God will build His church. As we build disciples, according to the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, that God will build His church, not only in San Antonio, but all over the world. That is our conviction. And that's why we go forward in 2014. Now, before we get into the text, and Jose just read to us out of Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 14, let's begin as we always do, as we, we, we enter into our study and we, we, we humbly come before this text, God's inspired word. We pray that He give us eyes that see and ears that hear. Let's bow our heads. Father, how wonderful it is to, to be right here in this place right now, surrounded by, by people that, that, that through faith and through a, a, a humble heart, a heart that has been transformed by forgiveness, by Your gift of grace, of forgiveness, of salvation, the gift of Your Spirit, Father, that we come to this place as, as family, as Your children, with each other, and especially with a keen sense of awareness of Your presence in our life. Your nearness is our good. Your nearness is what we yearn for and what we desire and what we crave in this life. And as we begin this new year and we set our eyes forward toward You, towards the future, toward heaven, 
toward the ministry and the doors that will be opened for us in this year. We, we pray, Father, to, to do it in, in such a way that it brings great glory to You. It makes much of You. And we rely on Your Word to help guide our mind, our thinking, and to transform us in such a way that, that we are, are, are given to these tasks that You have laid out in front of us. And so what we pray for this morning, Father, is that You'll give us eyes that see and ears that hear it and turn towards You. Bless us this way, Father. And we pray it in the name of Jesus and all the church said. I'm going to begin with a, with a really simple question. And the question is this, what is the difference between a light bulb and a laser? What is the difference between a light bulb and a laser? You know, I, I've gone into a lot of dark places in, in my life. You, you think about going into a dark, dark room where there is no light. It's pitch black. Uh, you, you know, the, the darkness just feels so heavy upon your body. You can't even see your hand in front of your face. And you feel alone. And you feel kind of the, the weight of that darkness and the, the weight of that blackness upon you. You feel isolated. And then all of a sudden, somebody turns on a light. Just turns on a light. And all of a sudden, that room... It's, it's lit up. You can see things, and you can see things sometimes very, very clearly because of that light. Light bulb comes on, room gets lit up. Now you go back into that dark room once again, and it's dark, and it's dark, and it's getting darker yet. But this time, instead of turning on a light bulb, you turn on a laser, and the effect is completely different. So what's the difference? What's the difference between a laser and a light bulb? Well, a regular light goes in all kinds of different directions. A regular light bulb goes in every direction, but a laser only goes in one direction only. Regular light is diffused, but laser light is a focused light. What a laser does is gather up all of its light and forces it forward in one direction. Now, why in the world all of this talk about light bulbs and lasers? The reason is this. There is great power in focus. There is tremendously great power in focus. Say that with me. There is great power in focus. Now, one of the things in this Scripture that Paul is talking about is what does it mean to live a Christian life? And how do you do that? How do you live in the era and the culture and, 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 you know, in Paul's time, but for our sake, in our time as well, our culture, our society as well, how do you live a life as a disciple of Jesus in the culture that you find yourself? Well, Paul uses a, a very special word a couple of times in verse 12 and verse 14. Let me read those and we'll pick it out together. Verse 12, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I, say that word church, press on. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Now drop down in your Bible. It's also up here on the screen. Verse 14, he says, I what? Press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now that is a very, very special word. It is the word dioko, which means as a, a number one definition, our first definition, to press on. It means to run forward. It means, it, it means to go forward in life. But it's also a word that is found earlier in this text. Chapter 3, verse 6. Paul says, and he's describing his own life here. He says, as for zeal, what's the next word? Persecuting the church. Believe it or not, it's the exact same word. 
Now here, the word is not translated as running forward or pressing on. The word is translated, this present active participle, as, as persecuting. It's the same sense of making someone to flee or to put them to flight or, or, or to, to run them forward or to run them off. If we were to use it in a colloquial sense or in a Mark Absher kind of translation, we would say it is to pound them. It is, it is to hammer them. And so how Paul is using this verse, verse 6 and verses 12 and 14, this word is before Christ, before Paul recognized Jesus as the Messiah, Paul would gather up the church. He would gather up all of the, the people of the church and he would press the church or pound the church toward death. That's what he was doing in Acts chapter 9 as he's going up to Damascus with a letter in his hand to gather up all of the Christians in that city. He had already put Stephen to death because Stephen had confessed that Jesus was the Messiah. So before Christ, Paul is gathering up the church and pounding it or pressing it towards death. But then you have Acts chapter 9 and you have his after Christ existence and Paul is gathering up his own life and he's pressing it forward towards life in Jesus and towards Christ-likeness. Notice what he says throughout this text that Jose read for us. In verse 8, it's about the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. Verse 8 again, that I may gain Him. Verse 9, be found in Him. Uh, in verse 10, I want to know who? Christ. Verse 10 again, becoming like Him. Now listen carefully. There is something extremely special that takes place in a relationship between a man and a woman. When that man discovers that that woman just adores him, that she just loves him, that she wants to spend the rest of her life with him, that she wants to take on his name and to, and to, to, to be the mother of his children and to be his wife throughout all of life. It's just when a man really gets that, it changes him. And vice versa, when a, when a man realizes or a woman realizes that a man is choosing her and wants to give her his name and will sacrifice himself for her, it's, it's an unbelievably wonderful thing. When you, that day when you realize that that person is choosing you, that you have become the apple of somebody's eye, it changes you. Now, it's the same kind of thing that happens, but much more dramatically in the life of a disciple of Jesus. To be saved by grace is this. Is that through faith, you are being grabbed by the reality of Jesus dying on the cross for your sins. That's what it means to be saved by grace. You realize that all of your efforts to, to win your own salvation, to, to gain esteem, or to gain uh, some kind of status, or some kind of high standing in God's eyes, are all coming to a failure because you can't do it. It is, it is impossible for you to live the kind of life that gets you to the top of that mountain. You will always slide back. You'll always come down. In fact, at times, it will seem like your sin is avalanching you. And then you realize that what you couldn't do, Christ did for you by dying on the cross. He took on all of your sin. You weren't even born yet. But in the greatness of His life, He's taking on, in the greatness of His love, His mercy and compassion... He's taking all of our sin upon Himself. 
and you realize that you are justified, meaning that you are being declared legally in front of anybody that would ever accuse you in this planet or in, in, in the invisible world, anybody that would accuse you, you have been declared innocent. That, that your sins have been removed from the books. That, that, that they have been jettisoned as far from God as the East is from the West. And when you realize that all of that has happened, that, that God has put His Spirit inside of you, that He is investing His blessings in you every day to provide you the, the, the blessing and the comfort of all of the promises that come true in Christ, then it changes you. That's what it means to be saved by grace. To live by grace is to grab the One who has grabbed you. That's what it means to live by grace. To pursue the One who is pursuing you. To become like the One who became like you in the Incarnation. And that's why Paul says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and the participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. And so, somehow... Attaining to the resurrection of the dead. What Paul is trying to say to that church in Philippi is that because of the greatness that is ever increasing, ever expanding in my mind, in my soul, in my heart about what Christ has done and what God has done for me through Christ, every inch of my life, my whole life is being redirected forward towards Christ and the resurrection. I look forward. I look heavenward. I mean, we all know Paul. Paul's a pretty intense individual. But can you imagine the guy that wrote this verse, that wrote about the surpassing greatness of the knowledge of Christ, to talk about you know, the, 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 the wonders of the in, incarnation of Jesus as he wrote to the, the, the church in Colossae, to, to, to write about the, the, the greatness of the, the transformation, the organic transformation that takes place in a human body in Galatians 5 because of the Spirit, for Him to say, as His mind, His great mind has captured these things, that, you know, I'm a Christian, but it's no big deal. I'm a Christian, but you know what? I don't get carried away with it. I can't imagine that for one second. That's why Paul says in verse 13, out of all of the things that Paul could say, he said, one thing I do. One thing I do. Now, a lot of people go through the extreme emotions of conversion and repentance only to live out the rest of their lives of faith in the kingdom of God, lacklusterly. Without that laser focus that says there is one thing I do, and that's to press my life forward in knowing Christ and becoming like Him. And so as we think about 2014 and think about going forward as disciples of Jesus and growing in, in our, our ability to say the things that Paul did and to rejoice in the things that Paul did, two things. The first is recognize Jesus. Recognize it. Recognize it. The story is told about two brothers from New York decided in retirement that they were fed up with the city life. They wanted to move to a quieter place. Decided to move to Texas, buy a ranch. They also realized that they needed to buy a lot of stuff. They bought a truck, bought some cattle, 
decided that they needed a mule, so they went to the next-door neighbor's house, a ranch next to them, asked if he had a mule to sell. The rancher didn't, but he decided that he wanted to have a little fun. He could not resist the opportunity to have some fun with these guys from New York City. So he pointed to a honeydew melon and said, I don't have a full-grown mule, but what I do have, and I'll give you, is just these mule eggs. I'll give you a mule egg. Take this egg home, and in a couple of days, you're going to have a full-grown mule when it hatches. And it'll be brand new, and you can just have it. Well, the brothers were thrilled to hear this. They grabbed one of these honeydew mule eggs, these melons. They placed it in the back of the pickup truck, and they're almost home when they, on this dirt road, they hit a bump, and this melon comes flying out of the back of the pickup, hits the ground, and it explodes. Well, they go down the road a little bit before they realize, oh, they, they see it in the rearview mirror. They need to turn around and go back and get it. In the meantime, there is a jackrabbit who decides that he loves honeydew melon. So he jumps in the middle of this melon and starts eating it. As they're driving down the road, they see this animal with big ears sitting in this honeydew melon, and they say, look, it's already hatched. <laughs> and so they drive up, they get out of it. They say, look, our, egg, our mule egg is hatched. Let's get it. And you know what the jackrabbit did when he saw the men coming after it? With lightning speed, it takes off with these two New Yorkers in hot pursuit. Finally, they hit the ground exhausted as this jackrabbit runs off into the cedar. And one says, well, I guess we lost our mule. The other one said, well, that's okay. I didn't want to plow that fast anyway. <coughs> you know, the inability to recognize reality can be a danger. The inability to recognize reality is a danger. Now, it's kind of funny when we're talking about mules and jackrabbits. Not so funny when it happens in real life because that can lead to disaster. It can lead to disaster. There, in Christianity Today, just recently, they, they, uh, they posted uh, the results from a website, a, a, a website that uh, talks about men's fashions and things like that. And the survey <laughs> that involved 2,000 men was the answer to the question, who do you consider your role model? 8% said entertainers. They wanted to be Brad Pitt. They wanted to be George Clooney, somebody. 24% said athletes. 35% said entrepreneur. 31% said, I'm my own role model. I mean, doesn't that sound just like a man? Who do you admire? I admire myself. I, I want to grow up and be me. In Paul's early life, <coughs> he would say this about himself. He would say, you know about me, the land of Israel, the people of Israel. I'm Jewish, Hebrew of Hebrews, tribe of Benjamin. And guess what? Not only that, a Pharisee, not only that, but zealous. When it comes to zeal, oh, zeal for the law, I'm faultless, trained by some of the greatest minds Theologically in Judaism, all of this great stuff. But now, hear what he says. Verse 7, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider what? Say it, church. I consider what? Everything. Everything. A loss because of the surpassing worth, the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage. I consider them rubbish. 
that I may gain Christ. Wow. You know, we have a lot of high achievers in our church family. We have a lot of people that have established themselves in the community. Lots of degrees. Lots of, lots of I'll take that right now. Thank you. Let's, let's give Rick a little uh, golf clap. <laughs> but uh, is, it, is this decaf water? Or <laughs> Thank you. Oh, I apologize for the, for the voice. The question is, can, can we say that? I mean, there, there is so much achievement. There's so much success in this church family. There are so many resources. But can we say all of that stuff, as good as it is, as pretty as it is, as, as valuable as it is, I consider that stuff to be down here in, in, the, in, in the rubbish every time I see Jesus or think about Jesus or think about the cross or think about the beauty of His love and His patience. That knowing Christ surpasses everything. And I see His beauty. The second thing is, is not just to spend the rest of this year pressing our mind into God's Word and, and meditating on it in such a way that the, the, the face of Christ becomes more and more beautiful. But number two, repeat a plea. Recognize Christ, but repeat a plea. You know, in the Great Commission, it's all about making disciples. And a disciple is somebody that says, he leads, I follow. He leads, I follow. I'm not the leader, he is. I'm a follower, he leads, where he leads, I'm going to go. His footsteps are what I walk in. Where he takes me, I'm going to go. Whatever he tells me to do, I'm going to do. He leads, I follow. Do you know that the, the, the simple words, lead me, that's one of the greatest prayers, one of the greatest pleas that you'll find in the Bible. Let me give you just a sampling from the Psalms. Psalm chapter 5, verse 8. Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. David says in Psalm 27, verse 11, Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path. Psalm 31, verse 3. Since... Since he's already recognized that God is his, is his rock, that God is his fortress. He's already recognized that. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Psalm 61, verse 2, from the ends of the earth, I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. You see, it's not just... It's not just when you have enemies that are after you or you feel like you're facing something that, that's, that's, that has a treacherous heart towards you. And it's not just in those, those, those moments in which you, you, you find yourself uh, you, you know, struggling with some kind of a question about life. But, but even when you find yourself growing faint, the prayer on our lips, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Psalm 139. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Psalm 143, verse 10. Teach me to do Your will, for You are my God. For You are my God. May Your good Spirit... See, there's the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. May Your good Spirit lead me on level ground. Go forward about 800 years, 900, 900 years. Paul would say it this way. I want to know Christ. Yes, 
to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His suffering, becoming like Him in His death. Knowing and participating and becoming. The words of a disciple who's seeking to move forward in his life in Christ-likeness. Martin Buber, a <coughs> uh, Jewish philosopher from a century ago, tells a story of these two men that were in a dark wood. It's a dark wood and there's danger behind every tree and they're, they're lost. They, they don't know where to go. They don't know where to turn. And the lightning strikes. The lightning strikes. The wise one saw the path that was illuminated by that lightning and traveled from danger to safety while the fool just looked at light. When I think of all of our stories, Priscilla this morning saying, I want to be one with Christ. You think about where you were and what you were doing and where you were headed and what you were feeling and what you were thinking, what you were experiencing in life and, and the sum total of all of the, 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 the attempts of your life to, to, to go forward. The words of that old, old, old hymn, Amazing Grace, come true, right? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Say it with me. I was blind, but now I see. As we begin 2014 this morning, and we look forward, down the road, the time that God gives us, and what He calls us to do, and especially what He calls us to be, this morning, if any light from His Word has struck your heart, then go forward. Ben's going to lead us in a song. We're going to have some of our shepherds down here at the front. If there are ways that our church family can minister to you